0: Now, <laughs> Wally, a man of many talents. Surprise, surprise. For those of you who were here at the breaking of bread this morning, and for the songs that we have just uh, encountered, uh, that is the message for Thanksgiving. And that's the way it should be. Uh, great songs, uh, great times of prayer, and uh, certainly a focus on the Lord. I was asked if there is a uh, particular verse that we're supposed to follow or not follow, and that's a good question. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I was just told speak on Thanksgiving, so we're going to talk on Thanksgiving. I'm thinking that maybe uh, one of the uh, verses that are there would have been in 1 Thessalonians 1:2, and so I'll read that before we start, and we can focus on that as we go through this. It simply says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. That's what it says. As I went through this uh, study and trying to prepare for this, I tried to find a definition for thanksgiving. And what I come up with when I summed everything up and I read and interpreted between different definitions, I come up with, it is, The process of gratitude to the source of your benefit. Think about that. That's not a very long definition, but it sure applies to our relationship with the Lord, or it should apply to our relationship with the Lord. What I'm going to do when uh, we get started here, I'm going to break it into three different sections. Okay, I want to speak about Thanksgiving in the eyes of the world. I want to speak about Thanksgiving in our world. And I want to speak about Thanksgiving in God's world. But first, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the chapter on Thanksgiving. Wow. You should be where I am. There are a lot of stunned looks. Every chapter in the Bible is about Thanksgiving. Every verse in the Bible is about Thanksgiving. I don't care how you put it, it's about Thanksgiving. So that was a little bit of a trick question to get you started. This is what Thanksgiving is not. This is about the world. Okay, so we're going to talk about Turkey. First of all, Thanksgiving doesn't have anything to do with Turkey. If it did... uh, Perhaps it would have had had a higher uh, position in our life, but it doesn't. Okay, Turkey, just a second as I pull through the back here. I'm working with technology that I'm not familiar with. Okay. If it did, and I've said this before to some of you, so I apologize for that. If it did, God would have crossed the centipede with the Turkey, and there would have been fewer arguments over the drumstick. Okay. And while I looked in the Bible as much as I could, and I'm pretty convinced that Noah probably took two turkeys into the ark, I couldn't find anything that referenced the sacrificing of that humble animal uh, every October in the western countries. Uh, And maybe it's done in other countries too, I'm not sure. Thanksgiving is not based on a sporting event, such as hockey or football. How many people... In the Western world, they're going to be watching a hockey game or a football game today with all the accoutrements that go along with it, turkey being one of them, but uh, snacks and a few beverages and that type of thing. Here's a story about a young man who was very excited because he had just won a ticket to the Super Bowl, but he was less excited when he found out where the tickets were. They were for seats way up in the back, and he didn't like that. So he pursued the area that he was in, and he found seats at the front of the stadium. Right at the front, he approached the man who was sitting next to the empty seat, and he asked, is this taken? The man said, no. Amazed, the young man said, how can anyone pass up a seat like this right on center field? The older gentleman responded, that's been my wife's seat. We've been to every Super Bowl game together since the day we were married, but she's passed away. Oh, how sad, the young man said. I'm sorry to hear that, but couldn't you find a relative or friend to come with you? No, unfortunately, they're all at the funeral. This man put football above family. And there are lots that do that. Not surprising. And Judy will attest to you that uh, football was something that I watched an awful lot of when I was younger. I still watch a lot of it. But it was almost a passion. And it becomes a dedication almost to the point of idolatry. I guess it is idolatry. What about the people that pursue wealth and power? Isn't this a good time to be pursuing wealth and power? Super Bowl, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, those types of things. Imagine the advertisements that are on on the TV right now about Thanksgiving and about the football games. They're going to make a lot of money. Rudyard Kipling was a great British poet, very famous writer, even before he died, and he made a lot of money. A newspaper reporter came up to him one time and said, Mr. Kipling, I just read that you've earned somewhere in the amounts of over $100 for every word that you've published. Really, I wasn't aware of that, Mr. Kipling said. The reporter cynically reached into his pocket and pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to Mr. Kipling. He said, now will you give me one of your $100 words? He took the $100 bill, looked at it for a moment, folded it up and put it in his pocket and said, thanks. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps... We take advantage of other people, don't we? Perhaps it's about control, manipulation, power over others, for your own self-interest, making you feel good. There was a Sunday Christian in Porcupine, in Timmins, in Schumacher, named Wally, who called his son, an atheist, in New York City and said, I hate to ruin your day, but your mother and I are divorcing. I'm 50 years old now, and we've been married long enough, and I've had it with her. We're separating. Pop, what are you talking about, the surprised son says. We can't stand the sight of each other. We're not going to stay together. So you can call your sister in Chicago and let her know what's going on. He hangs up. The son frantically calls his sister, who explodes on the phone. There is no way they're getting divorced. I'll take care of this. She calls Phoenix immediately, or South Porcupine, or Timmins, whatever. And shouts at her, Dad, you're not getting divorced. Don't you do a single thing until I get there. We'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me? The man hangs up to the phone and turns to his wife and says, the kids are coming for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) That's the way of this world. And that's enough to get into the story. What I'm trying to show here is that most people, and you may include yourself, Take the time to focus on what's good for you. What is going to benefit you? Should I have a relaxing time? Should I have a little bit of extra turkey? Uh, Can I get wealth out of this or a benefit out of this in some way, shape, or form? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's another focus to all of this. What about our world? Okay, and I'm calling this a Laodicean view of thanksgiving. I spent a lot of time over the past few weeks just thinking about what have I got to be thankful about. And I have to tell you that the list is pretty long, and uh, in a lot of ways it's scary. Because I realize that there's not much on that list that I can control. I can only control how I receive it. So there is a process of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, most people don't spend a lot of time reflecting on that. They just take what comes their way and everything is okay. But would it surprise you to know that even in the early parts of the Bible, that we were not very thankful people? You know, even from the very beginning, if you think about it, when Adam and Eve were in the, in the garden, did you hear them? Thank the Lord for what they had. At that particular time, before they had eaten of the apple, um, were they perfect? I'm not sure. But they hadn't committed any sin. But they were sure about to. And I think that that's where we fall short. And we begin right from step one. There's an issue of us turning away from the Lord, and it begins right from square one. Okay? I'm just looking for this verse here. Just bear with me. When Satan came to Eve and said, eat of this apple, she could have turned away and said no. But she didn't do that, did she? Genesis three six says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now take note of the facets of this one singular verse. It was good for food. That was despite God's warning that it wasn't good for food. He had asked them to avoid that tree. But her focus was not on what the Lord wanted, but what she wanted. Okay. Pleasant to the eyes, she had a desire for self-gratification. She wanted to see why it was so pleasant to the eyes. She wanted to enjoy that pleasantry. It was a tree that was desirable for wisdom and knowledge. Was the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord not enough? What did she need wisdom and knowledge for? Everything she had was provided by God. What else did she need? But, the Satan, but Satan put that doubt in her. And then, as if that was not enough, she gave it to her husband, spreading the sin to others. But let's not think that she's the only one guilty here. It says that her husband being with her, so he obviously knew well enough what she had done, and yet he also partook. Of that fruit. Implicating himself in the sin. Now we do that every day, don't we? We try and make some small item that's sinful in nature seem like it really doesn't matter, that the Lord won't have a problem with that. Just look one chapter later in Genesis 4, what happened with the next generation, so to speak. Now Cain talked to his brother Abel, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. A few notes on that verse. Cain was very angry with his brother, but he shouldn't have been angry with his brother. He should have been angry with himself. Because it wasn't his brother who had committed the sin. It was him. He had brought an offering that was not suitable to the Lord. But yet, he couldn't see that, and he wasn't willing to accept that. He wanted, he wanted his brother to take that wrath. But it wasn't his, his brother's fault, it was his fault. By doing so, he not only murdered his brother, but he chose to turn from the Lord, which was probably a worse sin. He assumed that the action that he took by getting his brother out of the picture, would benefit him. That it would appease his anger, remove an irritation from his life, and maybe let him move on and let him become number one in the eyes of his family and in the eyes of the Lord. But by rejecting the power of the Lord, acting on his own, he brought the wrath of God upon himself. Verse 12 of that same chapter says, When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now, I think you can see the trend here as you're going through this. Remember the definition that I gave you at the first. It's a process of giving gratitude to the source of the benefit. Eve didn't give gratitude to the source of the benefit. Cain and Abel, same situation. And it happens throughout the Bible. You know, reflect on the way that you scheme, you envy, you justify, you seek self-gratification. Are you really any different, any more different from the person who pursue power and wealth that I spoke about before, the football mothers and dads who put football above others, put sports above others, idolize things of this world that will soon be gone, that will rot and be eaten away? Pleasure seekers. How many people are looking for the next hottest item on the Internet? How many people want to be the first to have the iPhone 9 or 10, or whatever it happens to be, PlayStation, whatever it is? How many people are waiting for that? How many people go to the door at midnight, even when they don't open till six o'clock in the morning waiting for that next item? That does them no good. Let's be honest. We are a thankless people. Our world is no better today than it was a long time ago. We continue to live like Laodiceans. And for those of you who know Revelation a little bit, in Revelation 3.15, speaking of the church of Laodicea, it says that, I know your works, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either cold or hot. The solution is, to those woes or a few short verses later in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, turn your eyes upon the Lord. That's where you need to be to receive the thanks, and the power towards the source of your benefit. Further on in this passage, we're being warned that our coolness to the Lord is a little bit of a sin, and it's really no different from the offering that Cain had or the actions of Adam and Eve in the garden. We can't serve two masters, We either have to remain in this world or forsake this world and take up the cross and follow Jesus. Now you've heard these words many, many times before. It shouldn't be new to you. We're warned not to focus on things of this world as they're temporary and fleeting. We've heard those verses as well. We are not to be hypocritical in our lives, but rather to be committed and living through that commitment. It's the process. It's the process. I spoke about this this morning a little bit in the breaking of bread. You know, when we came to know the Lord, when we accepted the Lord, when we became His child, we didn't all of a sudden, poof, become perfect. Never to sin again. Never to have any worries. Always to be humble. Always to be compassionate. Always to be loving. Never to envy again. That's not us. That's not going to happen. It's a process. But the process is, who do you focus on? Most people in the world focus on themselves. How can I get rich? How can I become the president? How can I have a bigger house than my neighbor? How can I have another four-wheeler? All of those types of things. It's all about self. But you know something? When they put you in the hole, you can't take that stuff with you. And the Lord has already prepared a mansion for you. What are you going to do with the house you got now? Can't take it with you. Can't take it with you. So, there's an object that says to you, are you being hypocritical? And I'm speaking about myself here. I say one thing and I do another. I say that I'm committed to the Lord, but do I stand up for the Lord when I should be? Do I say the things I should be saying to other people when I'm challenged? Sharon spoke this morning about getting down on your knees before the cross on a busy highway. And just raising your hands to that cross and saying to the Lord, Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I want to release these things to you, Lord. Could you do that while hundreds, if not thousands, of vehicles are driving by you, watching you on your knees at a wooden cross with your hands raised in the air? Would you do that? Could you do that? It's just part of being committed. Regardless of where I researched, as I said before, I come up with that same definition. It's a process of giving gratitude to the source of a benefit or a blessing. And I don't think we need to look any further in the word. And as I said before, I believe that every chapter and every verse deals with thanksgiving. I don't think we have to look any farther than the relationship between Jesus and his Father. Jesus and his Father are the epitome of that statement. The adherence of the, of the concept of by Jesus to his Father, speaks of the true meaning of thanksgiving. From the very beginning of the ministry in Christ, we see the process. Jesus was not from Laodicea. There's no two ways about it. He was not lukewarm about his commitment. Remember very early, when I think he was 12, and he went to the temple, and he was gone for a while, and his parents had lost him and didn't know what to do with him, couldn't find him and they were upset when he had not informed them about his whereabouts and in Luke 2:49 he says to them why do you seek me do you not know that I must be about my father's business he had started the process at 12 years old he knew the process now we don't hear a lot from that time period until he becomes 30 sort of thing and we talk about the 3 years of his ministry But he had to follow the process from 12 to 30. There's 18 years in there where he had to do something. He didn't walk away because all of a sudden when he becomes 30-ish, his ministry becomes important and we start reading all about the things that he did. But I'm sure that some of that happened before in those 18 years as well. You know, we all know John 3.16, but I like to hook up on John 3.17 sometimes, which says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Luke 9.56 says, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's the process. Christ is in that process. Matthew 11.27 says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. The source of the benefit. There's no doubt in Christ's mind who the source is. Absolutely none. Okay, He was committed to the process and he understood the source. And he gave gratitude. How many times... Did he leave where he was and go up the mountain or go into some hidden place and pray to the Lord on his own? That was giving source to the gratitude. Or giving gratitude to the source, I should say. Pardon me. The next portion of the definition speaks of that giving gratitude. But not just to anyone, but to the source, as I said. Jesus was very proficient at that. Luke 10.21 says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to the babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So, not what he wanted, but what God wanted. That's what he wanted. How about a few excerpts from what we call his intercessory prayer in John 17? Verse 1 says, Jesus spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. Giving gratitude to the source and also understanding the process. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Verse 25 and 26 says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared them to your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Gratitude. The process. The benefactor. The source of the benefit. So let's go back to First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.2, and here we have Paul. Now we all know what Paul started out to be. He was probably the number one persecutor of Christians. He didn't like the Jews, and I'm sure the Jews didn't care much for him. They avoided him probably every opportunity that they have. But he was vehement in his pursuit of them. And all of a sudden, we see the change we see that he becomes a follower of Christ. But he's not perfect. He's not perfect, but he's doing the best he can. And he's teaching what he's been taught by Jesus. What he's been taught by the apostles. What the Lord does through him. And he says in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 2 I should say, We give thanks to God always. For you all making mention of you in our prayers. Can you see the process here? Now Paul had been to this place before and had started up this church and had gone away and realized that he needed to go back, but he couldn't get there, so he sent Timothy. But that doesn't mean that he didn't love the church and that he didn't love the process and that he wasn't going to focus on what the process was supposed to be. He had truly taken up his cross and followed the Lord. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that man is Jesus. It sounds to me like Paul understands what it's all about. Paul not only said these words, but he acted upon it. And those of you who know the Bible, even a little bit, know the persecution that Paul went through, how many times he was whipped, how many times he was beaten, how many times he was humiliated, and his ultimate death, but yet he did it for Christ. He didn't do it to get a fancy house, basically he had that before, because when he was persecuting the Jews, he had all those things that the uh, uh the people of this world have, you know the football addicts and the people looking for wealth and power. Paul had that. He gave it up. He gave it up realizing that there was a greater reward. And that reward was knowing Jesus Christ. He gives thanks to the source of the benefit. Not once, but always, he says. So in conclusion, we want to talk a little bit about your concept of thanksgiving. You've got football, turkey, power, control, money, money. Versus the eternal love of the Father. Eternal life with the Father. Wealth beyond measure. Unlimited benefits that you can't even begin to imagine. Redemption from the fires of Sheol. And on and on and on. We've been asked many, many times to leave the church of Laodicea. Do not be lukewarm in your love for the Lord but to take up your cross and follow Christ. Would that not be humble gratitude? Would that not be the process? Would that not be giving your thanks to the source of your benefit? Because I'm pretty sure that there's nothing on this earth that has benefited you anywhere near what the Lord has benefited you. In closing, I just want to say, may your thanksgiving be out of this world. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, it is so easy to see our neighbors, our family, our friends, and want what they want. But yet when we look around ourselves, Lord, and we realize that all that they have is fleeting, we ask ourselves, is there more? And you have stood there all along with the answer, yes, there is. There is more through your Son, Jesus Christ. And if anybody understood what it meant to be thankful, it was your Son. We are created in His image, we are told, through your Word. And yet somehow, Lord, we certainly struggle hard to try not to live up to it. Help us, Lord, to put aside things of this world and to live in your world. Help us to speak boldly for you, as Jesus taught us to do. Help us to understand the process, to realize that we will not get everything perfect, but that if we bring these things to you, you will forgive You will guide. You will lead through the Holy Spirit. You will direct our paths. And in the end, hopefully, Lord, we will all humble ourselves before You and realize the benefit that You have given us from day one. Lord, we are so thankful for family, for friends, even for our enemies. But most of all, Lord, we are thankful for You, for all that You have given us, for your patience towards us, for your righteousness, and for the grace. Lord, we just thank you and we lift all these things up to you in your Son's precious name. Amen. Thank you. Do you want that uh, laptop? Why did it beep like that? Pardon? Why did it beep like that? Uh, when you close before it shuts down, does that? Oh, is that right? Yeah. It's like a warning that, uh, yeah. I'm. I i do <laughs> not know. the hard way, huh? the of the night. Okay. So, mama.